whenever there's a, like a, a mixer for a group, a party mixer, one of the questions is always, uh, if you had to plan your perfect day, what would it be? What's your perfect, what's, if you had to plan a perfect weekend retreat, a perfect couple of day getaway, if you had to plan your perfect week, what would it look like? You've all, you've all got some things immediately that come to mind. I like that. Well, how about this? What if, what if one of your friends planned their perfect couple of days and they invited you to join them? You can participate in whatever you want to participate that they're doing, but they just want you along for their best three or four days. You probably have some friends that you're like, oh, that would be great, I would love that, and some friends that you're like, well, I don't know. I don't know if I want to be around for their perfect three to four or five day retreat. Whose perfect couple of days, whose who's best, whose most delighted selves do you want to accompany for an extended period of time? What about, uh, what about if, like, you know, I don't know, somehow you're in some sort of raffle or something where you're, trying, you're winning a, uh, a week with Tom Hanks and his family, right? Tom has worked with a vacation planner, and he's got his perfect week and his family, and, and you're invited to come along. Again, you don't have to do any of the stuff you don't want to do, but you're welcome to be there with it. Would you want to go along with that? Would that be pretty cool? What if it was, uh, what if it was uh, Kim Jong-un? Right, the, the dictator of North Korea, and you won a week-long retreat with him and his friends. How many of you would take that? You'd be like, oh, definitely not. Right, I don't want any part of that. This is what we're talking about. Maybe this is what we're talking about every Sunday, but this is what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about whose delight do you want to participate in? Whose delight do you want to participate in? Which direction do you want to go? Do you want to go along with Kim Jong-un and enjoy three or four days of unforgettable insanity (laughs) and come home with probably fewer uh, appendages than you had when you left? Or do you want to go along with this other thing? This is the question of discipleship. And the question of discipleship that we talk about here at Fellowship Bible Church is not a question of if you're going to be discipled. It's a question of who's discipling us and where are they taking us. Is Kim Jong-un discipling you right now? Right? Is the world, is insanity and darkness and chaos discipling you or is light and life and love and hope discipling us? Which is it? This is the question of discipleship. And as we look at Psalm 51, we've talked about this as a kind of a journey. In Psalm 51, start to finish, and we're going to see this this morning, is David's journey of discipleship, his discipleship journey into the delight of God. And I've pointed this out before, but I, I just want to walk through Psalm 51 briefly, looking at the David's journey into God's delight. I mean, of course, it starts in verse 1, have mercy on me, God. I'm in a place where I've done things that I don't deserve to be in your presence. I'm way outside of your delight. I feel like I'm outside of your love. I'm outside of your mercies. And then David comes to a place where he understands in verse 6, you delight in truth in the inward being. He still feels like he's outside of it, but he he sees that God's delight, that that God's perfect good is what he wants. I see that I want it. 
And so verses 7 and 12, he's praying for that to come around me. Let me hear joy and gladness. He's praying for that to come into me. Create in me a clean heart and a, a right spirit. and give me, give me that joy, the joy of your salvation. And then it goes on. We see in verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. David, he's now, he's, he's entering into God's delight. He understands that in my brokenness, I've experienced grace. And, and now I, I understand the joy of God here. And then it's not until the end of it when he says in verse 19, then you will delight in right sacrifices. I'm laying down my sacrifices here because I am so delighted in your grace and you're delighted in what I'm doing, and we're delighted together now. So he starts on the outside of God's delight. And he buys a raffle ticket. And then, by the end of the psalm, he's in it. He's with God. He's laying down his, his resources, his gifts, his hopes and prayers and dreams are attached to God, spreading the knowledge of his grace to others. So this is, this is David's discipleship journey into the delight of God. And so as David describes this journey himself, of course, this is recorded for us. Psalm 51 is an invitation for us to locate ourselves in that journey. Where are you at today in relation to the heart of God? We're invited to locate ourselves in this discipleship journey and of course, we are invited to make progress in it, to take another step in it, to move further into the heart of God. What is God's heart for you? Do you know what that is? Is that a good thing or is that a Kim Jong-un thing? That's a really important question. Right? So many of us come to church and we sort of are dancing around this idea. I'm okay being sung at. I'm okay with the Bible stuff. Maybe I'll get something that can help me in my life. But the heart of God and the, 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 what delights him, ah, I don't know. The key question this morning, what we're going to be coming back to all the time is, where is joy found? Where is goodness found? Where is life found? Where does love come from? Go there. That's it. That's discipleship. Where is it? Go there. Psalm 51 begins, verses 1 to 6, with uh, David becoming a disciple. This is where we see in verses 1 to 2, he turns to God. <clears throat> he begins to learn from God. So as we go through this, I want you to try to locate yourself. Where are you? Are you in a place where you need to turn to God, begin to learn from God? Verses 1 to 2, David turns to God. He turns to God's saving mercies. Remember, he's, he's feeling outside of this. And so he says, have mercy on me, God, according to your steadfast love. David has had, he has, he has now had to reassess his understanding of God based on Scripture, his understanding of his own self and his needs. And so with that, with his realization of needing to be washed and his realization of his sinfulness, he turns to God. Do this for me, God. 
And in verses 3 to 6, he learns from God. Of course, we see this in verse 6. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Verses 3 to 6 is some of that wisdom that David's finally understanding. I know my sin. I see that I'm a sinner. I understand that it's against you and you only that I've sinned, God. David is beginning to learn totally new things about himself than he had previously thought were true. Are you a sinner or have you just gotten the short end of the stick? Which one of those is the most true thing about your story? Are our sins against God, the God who delights to see us be true and to give us grace in our secret heart? Have we sinned against him or are we just, we've made some mistakes, but it's a very important thing, learning to tell the truth about ourselves, our stories, learning to tell the truth about God. So David's, uh, King David's discipleship transformation begins here in verses 1 to 6. Uh, echoing the words of the Apostle Paul of Romans 12 too, he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? So there's a beginning to, I'm turning to God now, and I'm learning from Him. I'm, I'm getting things corrected that need to be corrected. This is a really important moment in the discipleship journey. Do you know what the first Christians called themselves? What they called themselves. You know, not what their, their enemies and the people that thought they were dumb called them. What did they call them? What we call ourselves, like what we write on the line next to our name, how do you want to be identified? How do you want to be designated? Job? Role in family? Hobbies? I'm a this enthusiast, or I'm, this is my job title. This is my relation in the family network. How we want to be identified is a really, really important thing about us. It, it tells what we think about ourselves. It tells, us what, tells people what we think our life is and what our life is for. You know what the first Christians called themselves? In Acts 19, it says that they call themselves the way. The way. That's cool. Committee to rename our church, right? The way. What did they mean by that? You know what they meant by that? They meant, we found the way. We found the way. Now, here's a little Bible geekery. The word way is uh, adus in Greek, as in ex adus. You know that word? Right? So when they said, we're the way, what they were saying is, we Israel, we everybody have been in slavery, in bondage, in the way of death, in the place of death, in, in slavery to empire, and we're leaving it. We're leaving it. We're on the way out. We're on the way back. This would have been the verse in their minds as they call themselves the way. They would say, Psalm 1611, you have made known to us the path of life. The path that leads us to where? What does it say? Where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. You've made known to us the way. And we're getting out of here. We're getting out of the city of destruction. And we're going to the celestial city. 
We're getting out of here and we're going that direction. Here's an important lesson for discipleship. Discipleship is always out of, it's always away from. The adus is always exodus. <laughs> the way is always the way out. In discipleship, in discipleship, God calls us away from things. The, word, the Bible word for this is repentance, right? It's get away from that. It's come on here and let's go. Romans 6.11, Paul says, You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. If we're going to live the way we're supposed to live, we've got to get away from this other thing that we've had. In Colossians 3, he says, Stop lying to yourself and put off the old self. Quit lying about who you are. Get rid of the old self. In Galatians 2.20, we're going to be back in Galatians. I think Galatians 2.20 in two weeks. What does he say? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. So if we're going to follow Jesus, we've got to get out of things. We've got to get away from things. There's got to be an ending. That positive motion is accompanied by a negative letting go. What do we need to let go of? You know, Psalm 51 opens with David in gross sin, right? He should be the most righteous, God-fearing person on the planet, and he is committing adultery, murder, lying about it, like all of these sins he's, he's breaking. Where did those sins come from? They came from David believing a story. Right, we see that because of all the things that he's saying, now I learned. Hey, I know my true In sin did my mother conceive me. It's against you and you only that I've sinned. He had been believing a different story about the kind of world he lived in, about who the God was and what the God cared about and who he was. He had thought that he was just like every other ancient Near Eastern despot who had worked really hard and now he gets to take what he wants. Is that part of your story? You've worked really hard and now you get to take what you want? David was right there with you. He was believing a lie story about himself. He was believing a lie story about the world. He was believing a lie story about God. And so sin is just what happens. Now, now where did David get that story from? Hmm. Who's telling David these nasty stories about God? Who's telling David these self-congratulating, but ultimately self-destructive stories about David's own self? Who's telling him this stuff, right? Let's call it, to stay with our S's, sins, and story, a satanic system. That's going to get a little too exaggerated here. Let's, let's break it down a little bit. Of course, we've got idols who are telling these things to us, things that have occupied a place in our life of deep value that's shaping who we are and, and motivating us and driving us. We might be more comfortable in our moment to talk about ideologies, our passions, our enthusiasms. And specifically, the idols and the ideologies of the empire. Right? The idols of the losing team. Who wants, to, you know, who wants to wear the mascot of the Vikings? Right? Like, who want, we're going to wear green and gold. Right? That's the winning team. Right? So you want to you follow and cheer for and be a part of the idols that are going to help you succeed in, by the rules and by the standards of the dominant of the winning culture. The idols, the ideologies of the empire. 
Which, what does the Bible say? Uh, who is operating at the highest level? Who's operating behind the highest level? We don't, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers and spiritual forces of wickedness behind the people in the highest places. You know, King David was in the place Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 4. The God of this world had blinded his mind, lest he see the truth of the knowledge of who God is and follow him and go to there. <laughs> but then God who called light out of darkness shone in David's heart to reveal the knowledge of the glory of God. You know, friends, when we talk about satanic systems in this world, I just want you to understand, and I want to be clear about this, I'm not talking about some sort of spooky conspiracy. I'm talking about uh, the top ten most popular magazines in circulation. You know, Red Book, Reader's Digest, Better Homes and Garden, uh, you know, People, U.S. News and World Report. These are the vehicles for the empire to convey to us the lies that give us permission to sin. And then invite us to go down the path that future you is not going to wish you had gone down. Discipleship begins by getting out, heading out, getting away. This is just, this is free, this is funny. This is, I just can't get this out of my head. Imagine infomercials for the satanic world system versus the infomercial for uh, Jesus Christ and his kingdom. You know, I just think it's a, a special week-long retreat, right? From the people who brought you North Korea and Facebook bots and floating islands of trash comes a special week-long retreat that you're invited to. Followed up by an infomercial that says, you know, from the people who brought you puppies, human dignity, and bacon, right? Which one do you want to go to? Although I would love to kind of see the floating islands of trash, but not really as like a place to go for a couple of days. I'd much rather go to Bacon for a couple of days. Which way is there fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore? You have made known to us the path of life. Hey, the world's got a path of life that it's made known to you as well, a path that calls life. Which one are we going to go on? Which direction are we going to go? If there's fullness of joy here and pleasures forevermore, then stop being worried about the heart of God for you. Right? Stop hesitating. How long will you dance between two opinions? If the Lord is God, serve Him. If Baal's God, go get it. We want to go there. And the first step on the way is to leave. So Israel leaves Egypt. We leave the idols and ideologies of the empire that are, that are encrusted around our hearts. We're trying to get out of there. The blindness of this world. Where did Israel go when they left Egypt? Where did they, they want to go? They want to go to the promised land, right? We all want to go to the promised land. Where did they actually go? They went to the wilderness. They wanted to go to the promised land, but first they had to go to the wilderness. The wilderness was just... It wasn't point A and it wasn't point B. It didn't even merit a point. It was the, the dash between A and B. Right? Nobody wants to, you got to go through the wilderness. But what happened to Israel was that they stalled there. They stalled in the wilderness because it's challenging to get through the wilderness. Do you remember what they're saying? They're going to the land of milk and honey and they're out there in the wilderness saying, oh, do you remember the leeks? 
whatever leeks are. You remember the leeks and the garlic and the onions? Oh. And Moses is like, and God's like, milk and honey? Onions? Like I know with enough butter, onions are okay. But there's no comparison here. What are they doing? What are they saying? They're saying, we left, but we're kind of interested in going back. A little while later, to come to Mount Sinai, God himself is up there, rumbling the mountain, shaking everything. Moses disappears for just a tick too long, and the people have put together a golden bowl that they're calling Yahweh. They're saying this thing that was an idol in Egypt, which, by the way, God just smoked all the gods of Egypt. And they're saying this thing that was a god in Egypt, we're going to call our god. What are they doing? You're going to say that this God, you're going to envision your God as a God of Egypt. They're saying, we can't, we can't make it to the promised land. We, want to, we, we don't love Egypt. We still, want to, we still want to call it God, but we want to just do it the same way that we did it in Egypt. We kind of want to go back. We kind of want to quit. Here's the second reality of discipleship. Discipleship happens in, an, in a difficult in-between place. It's a place of struggle. It's a place where it's easy to stall. You kind of, you cook something with onions in your house, you're smelling onions until you shower, right? <laughs> this is what the people of Egypt, or the people of Israel leaving Egypt were like. They could still smell the onions. They didn't have the imagination to taste the honey. Yet. This is where David is in verses 7 to 12. Look at Psalm 51, verses 7 to 12. David is now being discipled. And I didn't point this out when we actually uh, looked at these verses specifically, but I, wanna, I want you to see, as we read through this, this kind of a, it's a little confusing, isn't it? Because there's like a forward motion. David's like, I want the joy. But then there's a backward motion. But I need to be clean. Didn't he already get clean? Cleaned? Didn't he already get cleansed? It's not a linear thing. He goes, uh, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than stow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you've broken rejoice. Hide your face from all my sins and blot out my iniquities. I thought we covered that already. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. O cast me not away from your presence. There's a sort of back and forth here. He keeps kind of going back to, like, David, God did this already. David! He's not going to cast you away. Didn't you get this already? What is going on? I think what we're seeing here is the head knowledge that David got in verses 3 to 6. Struggling to become uh, heart knowledge, heart transformation. He's wrestling with this. There's a season as a disciple, a wilderness season, where you begin to understand amazing and deep things. But those amazing and deep truths have not entered your heart and transformed your character. And this is the challenge of being in the wilderness. The temptation is there to stall, to give up. I'm not going to go on. I'm not going to press on in this. I guess, I guess I'm just not good at being a Christian. You feel that way? I am just a no good. I'm just not a Christian person. I'm just not a good Christian person. You know, I'm... I'm there's people who have been a Christian for decades, have never shared a story of the grace of God in their life with anyone. They don't pray for themselves. They don't pray for others. 
Their idea of who God is hasn't changed since, you know, they were kids. They don't really serve anybody. You know, it's like they know how to behave in church. But if you said, why don't you pray to God to restore to you the joy of your salvation? They're just like, that just, that's not me. That just doesn't. He's not going to do it. I don't know if I want him to do it. Just, I'm at church, leave me alone. <laughs> why? Why do we give up? I don't know why you gave up. But here's what I think. Here's where, here's where the, the struggle was for David. You know, he, he read verse 3. I know my transgressions, my sins ever before me. Yeah, I'll buy that. I, I'm a, I know I'm a stinker. Against you, God, and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight. I get that. God sees everything. Okay. In fact, it's worse. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I've, I remember first time I, you know, poked my sister in the eye or whatever. Like, yeah, I, I'm a sinner. Okay. Behold, God delights in truth in the inward being, and God will teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Nope. I don't believe that God has delight for me. I don't believe I can change. I don't believe that my secret heart can be spoken to by the love of God and transformed. I just don't believe it. And so why would I bother praying verses 7 to 12? Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you've broken rejoice. Create in me a, a, a clean spirit and a right heart and give me joy. Like Why would I even bother with that? There's no way this God is out there doing this kind of stuff for people like me. Friend, if that's where you are, if that's your location this morning, let me encourage you with these simple words. There is nothing going on in your life that has not already been a Bible story. However crazy your story has been, it's already been told in here. There is somebody at least as bad as your story, if not worse, already here. And that means all of our stories. Jesus is bigger than all of our stories. The grace of God is bigger than all of our stories. So there is hope for you, but it's hard getting out of the wilderness. How do we get out of the wilderness? How do we make it through? Well, of course, prayer. But I want you to look at verse 0. Look at verse 0, Psalm 51. David's not alone in this journey, and it's not just him and his Bible and the Spirit. It says to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went in to confront him. Who else is with David in this discipleship journey? Nathan the prophet is. We make it through, if we're going to be making it through, we make it through together. Right? No one disciples themselves. To be a disciple is to follow. On the Exodus, on the way out of Egypt, the Lord says this to Israel in Exodus 23. He says, Behold, I'm going to send my angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place I've prepared. Pay careful attention to him. Obey his voice. Don't rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. That's actually Jesus, but that's a whole other... Come on, come, come to the Wednesday night Bible study for more. God is saying to the people of Israel, he wasn't just like, get out of Egypt, yeah! 
like they didn't just run like this for 400 miles, right? They stopped. They were led around different features. Like Jesus was leading them. The way is a way where we follow. When Jesus comes, what's he saying? He's saying to everybody, Pharisees, publicans, tax collectors, prostitutes, everybody, lepers, follow me. Let me teach you the way. The Apostle Paul comes and he tells everybody, he says, even though Paul is no Jesus, he's saying, imitate me. You see these other people that are doing it? Imitate them. Before Paul leaves, he sets up elders, he sets up wise, wise women, and he commissions them to teach others the grace of God. Discipleship is always behind someone. You're always following someone. It's always with. It's always together. So who are you following this morning? Who are you with? You know, the children of Israel got kind of stuck in the wilderness. Uh, there's actually, probably if you're wealthy and crazy enough, uh, there's actually a race through the Sahara Desert that you can sign up for where you do five marathons in five days through the Sahara Desert. Marathon de Sable or something, I think means sands. Now, if you're going to do that, right, people die every year when they do that race. If you're going to do that, you know what you want to keep close attention on is the trucks in the front and the people and the footprints in the sand and make sure you don't lose sight of the camels who are bringing up the rear. But you need to run that race if you're going to finish it with these people leading you and with you in the way. If you're in a discipleship desert, the key question is, which way is the pleasures of God, the joy of God? I want to go there. Where are the people, very practically, right? Where are the people who are going that direction and fall in line behind them? That's what it means to be a disciple. Now, back to the Exodus story. They get to the promised land. Is that the end? Is that the end of the story? Right? Was it like, like you know, the, the, the Spanish landing on the New World and falling down and grabbing the sand and, oh, we made it. Like, you know, like, cool. You know, we all looked and shook hands and we piled up a bunch of rocks when we got to the promised land. But then it was like, now let's go, right? That's just the beginning. It's from the promised land now that we're going to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. It's from the promised land that we're going to bless every family on the planet like God promised Abraham. It's from the promised land that this light is going to go out and shine. And so getting there is only the beginning. That's only the beginning. There is more to discipleship after verse 12 when he says, Uphold me with a willing spirit. I love having good feelings in me. Don't you like having good feelings in you? But there's a lot more verses after verse 12. Get your good feelings in you. Discipleship should involve a, a sense of connection to Jesus. But now let's go. Here's the fourth phase here. It, it, we see in verses 13 to 19, David becoming a mature disciple maker. How many of you lived in a neighborhood in a community where you had ice cream trucks growing up? Anybody? Anybody else? Right? Some, I know some of you are in rural places. Ice cream trucks. I lived in uh, suburban, just, just outside the city limits in Detroit. So a hot Detroit summer. You're already hot and sweaty. 
You got a couple, a couple quarters, loose change floating around in your pocket just for this purpose, and you hear it, right? I, can't, I don't remember the song, but you hear that song, and what did you do? You lit off like a rocket, right? Because you had found where pleasures forevermore were <laughs> and where there was fullness of joy, and it was in that orange push pot that you could get for 35 cents. And you ran like crazy there. See, we have this vision of, of maturity as being much more like stayed and controlled and immobile. In Christian discipleship, it's the opposite. You know where the goodness is. It's in that, that moving box. And so as soon as you see where it is and hear where it is, you're there. This is what the mature Christian is like. In verses 13 to 17, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. David says, I want to teach transgressors your ways, then sinners will return to you. I want to tell stories of grace, it, that grace that has come to me in my brokenness, so that the sinners that are out there will stop believing false stories about you and start learning the truth about your mercy and your heart. Next week, we're going to have a testimony Sunday where you are invited to share your. So, you could do that too, that's cool. And then verses 18 and 19, we looked at this last week. Do good to Zion, you'll delight in right sacrifices. Where David is, is joining God, right? He's giving with God. He understands what matters most. He hears the ice cream truck and he is going there. He's joining God's delight. Discipleship is always being led further into God's delight joining more of our life to him, giving more of our life to him. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 12, the angels sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth, wisdom and might, glory and honor and gifts. In the Gospels, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. All that we are, all that we have, we are invited to join to Jesus, to give to him, to attach to his glory, to join him in giving, because of course, he gave out all that first. He gave all that first. Paul talks about in, in his letters about discipleship, he, he says that the goal of, the, of discipleship is to become mature. Mature. That's an intimidating word, isn't it? You think, Am I mature? I don't, want to, I don't want to be mature. I'm certainly not mature. Mature in the Bible is a direct hyperlink back to Genesis 1. It just means good for what God made you to be. And what did God make us to be and to do? He made us to glorify Him, to glorify Him with the good things in our life, the bad things in our life, the ugly things in our life. Glorify Him with the good things in your light. Let your light so shine before men be, that they'll see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Give your bad things to Him to, be, to glorify Him. Romans eight twenty eight. God is working all things together for good. I think when He says all things, He means mostly bad things together for good. Give Him your bad things. And then, of course, Psalm 51 is an example of somebody giving God their ugliest things and saying, God, use this. To convey to sinners the truth about who you are.
You have made known to us the path of life. You have made known to us the way. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Where are you at in the disciples' journey? Wherever it is, start there and take another step. Just take another step. I'll tell you my life verse, Proverbs 24, 16. It says, the righteous person falls down seven times and gets up again. How was 2022 for you? Let's go. The righteous person falls seven times. That doesn't mean if you fall eight, you're out. It's, it's a way of saying the righteous person falls all the time. That's what seven means in the Bible. Ugh. The righteous person falls all the time. That's okay. We are the people of the way. Right? For, for believers right off the bat, this is what defined them. They're saying, we have found the way, and we are on the way. And now we're back on the way. So what does that mean for you this month and this year? Get back on the way. Go there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would work through this time of reflection. That Psalm 51 and these other scriptures would dwell in us richly. And that through them, you would draw us closer to Jesus. You would lead us further in the way. The way that we truly, we do want to go. So we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.